It's the week that was with Joe Palmasano. Good morning, all, and welcome to another edition of the week that was. It is, in case you don't know, because I don't even know. What day is it today, John? The 26th? Yeah. 26th of January. My birthday's coming up Thursday. And by the way, Wanda, thank you so much for the birthday card. And it was unbelievable. I just got a birthday card from Wanda, and it was sweet. How old are you going to be? 22? Yeah. Wow. No, 23. Uh Oh. 23. (laughs) You're LeBron year. I know. Thank you. I, uh... I want to thank all of you for tuning in today. It is, I got to tell you, I'm giving you a road alert right now. Driving in here, and folks, I have probably one of the best cars you can have in the winter, the Audi with the Quattro. And I slid through a stop sign in on one of the side streets in downtown Canton. It was completely a sheet of ice. I put on my brakes, and I wasn't going fast. I put on my brakes probably 15 feet before the stop sign and slid right through the stop sign as if I didn't put the brakes on. Luckily, it was a four-way stop and there weren't any cars this morning. But I'm telling you, be very careful out there. It is uh, snow-covered. It is icy. Uh, and it is it is very unpredictable as far as where the ice is and where you're going to slide because there were a couple of roads that looked like they were bad. They weren't. And a couple of roads that didn't look real bad, but like I said, I slid right through. So be careful out there today. If you're out there now or you're going out there, um, a lot of the roads haven't been salted or plowed or anything yet. Um you know, they, these are kind of the dog days of of winter, and and I guess I gauge it by, uh, you know, the holidays are done. Now it's just nasty. It's cold. It's snowy. Then it melts a little bit, and it gets muddy, and then snowy, and all the junk that goes on. And it's, now at this time of year, I just want it to be gone. Football's almost over. You know, now we turn on TV, got bowling and poker. You know, the <laughs> the national cornhole tournament championships. I actually watched that a couple weekends so did ago. I. It was ridiculous. Yeah, I know. I, I watch it too. It's like, okay. People and, trying to analyze cornhole. Like, know, like they're, like, they're like, oh, he's going to need to really put a certain type of spin on this throw. And I'm like, geez, the guy's probably drunk. Why does it matter to you? I, I agree. And so you got cornhole and bowling and and uh, and just poker. So I, I can't wait till spring training. So what happened on this date, January 26th in history? Do you remember 1998, on this day, Bill Clinton said, I can't do the voice, but I want to say one thing to the American people. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. I did not have (laughs) sexual relations with that woman. Miss Lewinsky. Miss Lewinsky. (laughs) That was on this day 
I did not know where my cigar was. <laughs> oh, stop. Stop. On January 26, 1980, 175,000 people paid to see Frank Sinatra sing in Rio de Janeiro. 175,000 people in 1980. And in 1784, Benjamin Franklin wrote a letter to his daughter expressing unhappiness over the eagle as a symbol of America. This is true, folks. Benjamin Franklin fought hard to have the symbol of America be the turkey. He really did. And can you imagine uh, a turkey today? A guy at the end of, you have Super Bowl, the beginning of the Super Bowl. You've got the flyover. You're getting ready to sing the national anthem. And a guy in the end zone releases a turkey who begins to walk towards the middle of the field. It just doesn't have the same effect. Or, or the moon landing. The moon landing. And all of a sudden, Neil Armstrong says, the turkey has landed. It just doesn't have the same effect. Or a boy graduating to the level of Turkey Scout. I am the turkey. I made it to Turkey Scout. It just doesn't. It just doesn't have the same ring. <laughs> was that yeah, a turkey call? I, it was. It was a turkey call. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't picture that. I mean, they have the national anthem, as you were saying, and a turkey tries to fly over, but turkeys can't, can't fly. Turkeys we can't fly that on WKRP years ago. So you'd see- <laughs> Oh, the humanity! <laughs> so you see this, it you know, this thing that's like... It's <laughs> running past the field. There is a... By the way, there Would is a... Would we still eat turkey on Thanksgiving if that was the case? No, we'd eat eagle. Oh. There is a lot going on right now in Canton. In Canton City School District from the search of new superintendent, football coach to the progress on the sports complex and the baseball fields, and academic achievement. All of this is going on in Canton City Schools right now. So I thought it would be a great idea today to have the president of Canton City School Board, J.R. Rinaldi, come in and address all of these issues. What's going on? How are we doing with superintendent? What's the, what, what are you looking for? What about a football coach? What are you looking for? It's obviously, it's a, I wonder which one's more high profile, <laughs> the superintendent or the head football coach at McKinley. So we'll, we'll find out about that. We'll also find out about where the sports complex is, the locker rooms. Is that coming together? I think it is. I've seen drawings of it. We're going to talk about that. Uh, and we're going to talk about the academic achievements, the, the things that are going on. The other thing that, uh, you know, we talk about, football and the sports complex what about academics how's the school how's the school system doing what's what are going to be involved in changing all that president trump announced yesterday he has agreed to reopen the government and allow thousands to uh receive current pay and back pay this is a temporary stopgap uh, until february 15th the democrats agreed that the president if he reopened the government, they would begin discussions in earnest in the border. So we'll see. We'll talk about that. 
Um, when will they learn? The, the media once again pounced on a story that was only partially told following an agenda and placing a school and its students under unnecessary risk and ridicule. I'm talking about the Covington Catholic uh, situation in Washington last week. And we'll look closely at what happened. Um, there was also a great article that came out in depth, and, and John and I are going to talk about it, the years of dysfunction with the Browns. I don't know what that, uh, what good this does, that story coming out now, but we'll talk about that later on in the show too. Um, we will also have other stories. We're going to have our trifecta contest. We're going to have the latest news from J. David Rest. John Bazika is here to talk sports and more. Uh, and again, we'll be joined at 9 o'clock by J.R. Rinaldi, school board president. So stay tuned. We got plenty coming up right after this. We'll be back with more Joe Palmasano right after this. All right, it is contest time, but I'm not giving you the questions yet. I'm giving you the answers now. And later on in the show, I'll give you the questions. If you match them up, you will win one pair of tickets to see Cher in concert. Her concert, Here We Go Again concert. It's at uh, Quicken Loans Arena. Snap out of it. And it's February 6, 2019. February 6, coming up. Uh, listeners must register at flashseats.com in order to get them. I don't know how that works. And maybe John will explain it to you when he talks to you and gets your information later on. But here are the answers. Uh, Super Bowl Eleven. Super Bowl Eleven is the first answer. Second answer is two. And the third answer is Eli Manning. Eli Manning. So the answers are Super Bowl eleven, two, and Eli Manning. I guess you can understand where these questions are going, what theme we have today. Super Bowl eleven, two, Eli Manning. All right. Is there a football game coming up next weekend? I think so. Yeah. That's that's could be what it's all about. You can win a pair of tickets to see Cher. I, I want to tell you this. Um, last night, I had the pleasure of seeing uh, the seventh of players that I coached at Malone University. It was Malone College then, when we started a program in 1992. Uh, in 93, and a group of young men came together, didn't have a locker room, uh, didn't know where we were going to play. Uh, you know, the field wasn't even fully grown in yet, the practice field. They were dressing in, in, the, in their dorm rooms for the first season. Second season had a trailer. Um, year was years before they got a full locker room and a field house and everything. Uh, but a group of young men came together with a vision and uh, great players. And that group went to the national playoffs in three years. Uh, 
something that hadn't been accomplished. I, I think very few teams had done anything like that. And last night, Shane Nalepa, who was our quarterback out of Steubenville, a young man that I recruited by taking the Pizza Hut for a dinner and sitting and talking for two hours, um, was an All-American. He got inducted in the Hall of Fame. That is the seventh player being inducted in the Hall of Fame at Malone from that team, which is pretty incredible. Um, But I was able to be around probably 20 of of the players. I was able to be around Malone again and see the quality of people there. And um, coaches, Mark Murphy, who was on my staff, uh, Dave Jones, Joe Nemeth was a, was one of my first players and was on the staff at at Akron. Um, many many more. Mike Miller, um, Mike Gravier, just on and on of of guys who were there. And it was so it was like we had never ever been apart. I, I am so proud of who these young men have become. They all they're all fathers parents, um, husbands, successful. Um, and, and I remember them as 17 and 18-year-old kids. I also remember this, how special Malone College is. I heard about eight or nine people that were inducted in the Hall of Fame last night. Not one spoke about their feats, their athletic accomplishments, what uh, what it meant to them on the field. They talked about how their lives were transformed, how Malone had an impact on their lives and changed their lives permanently. I was able to talk with uh, see Scott Armstrong, uh, see Coach Hyland, golf coach, who has been there f- for 20-some years and just committed to the school, and, and so many others, uh, Great golf program, fantastic. Uh, yeah, and and you know it's it just Hell Smith, who's a longtime basketball coach, AD. These people are all like family, and and they they stayed at Malone for a mission. I have one regret in life, one major regret in life. I have regrets, but I have one major regret, and I told the players that, and I've told other people this, was that I did not stay at Malone. And plant. And you know what? Mark Murphy last night told me the same thing. That that he wishes we would have just all planted at Malone and continued what we were doing there. Because it was special. It was a special group of people. And it's a special place. And it was an honor to be back there. It was like going home. Great place. Malone University. All about the people. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Joe Palmasano right after this. We're back. And uh, that song's redundant. Just keeps doing the same thing. No, it's good. Okay. I um 
What did you think of this article by Steve Wickersham, John? I thought it was very interesting, to uh, say the least. I really skim-read it the other day and, and hit the important points of it. And um, I just think it shows the overall dysfunction that the Browns had had for, God, what was five, four or five years, somewhere in there, and from Mike Pettin and that regime and Rob Chudzinski and Joe Banner and everyone else that was there and how Ray Farmer apparently was not on board with drafting Johnny Manziel. I mean, there were so many things that were in it, but really the biggest question I had, Joe, was was there anything in it that we didn't already know? That's a good point. Well, I didn't know that you, Jackson, told... No, I did not know that either. ...in order to get the heck out of his room. Uh, We're talking, folks, about an article that was written by Steve Wickersham. He is an ESPN senior uh, sports writer, and he wrote an article called Clash of the Cleveland Browns, How Hugh Jackson, Jimmy Haslam, and Baker Mayfield Collided. And it's an in-depth article uh, about the dysfunction of the Browns. But here's a concern I have, John. <clears throat> this article would have been well served two years ago, a year ago. I, I guess it had to play out and come full circle for him to write it. But it does nobody any good. You, you've, you've heard the this saying, and I used to say it to players all the time, and I say it to employees and people that I know. Turn the page. Mm-hmm. Leave the past behind. If you dwell in the past, you can't move ahead in the future. You can't forget about those things and move ahead. This does nothing more than rehash the troubles that caused the Browns to get to the point where things looked like they were just going to be blown up. If there's one thing that comes out of this, in my mind, is that Jimmy and D. Haslam read it and realize and look in the mirror and say, yes, we were the cause of this. By sticking our nose in, by being impatient, by micromanaging, we were the cause of this. And we need to back away which I think they have, and it may have already taken place, but if it hadn't, hopefully it will now, that they need to back off, be owners, but not be managers. No. And the problem is when Pilot Flying J was was purchased, was bought out, Jimmy Haslam became kind of purposeless. Yeah. And so he had to begin micromanaging the Browns even more so. And and that's what caused this. But it, it is a uh, it is a look back on some really ugly, dysfunctional things, but it really is all about Jimmy Haslam. Well when you think through all that dysfunction for, you know, those as I said, four or five years, I don't know exactly what it is. I think it's about five total, but you go back to the year with Chudzinski where the team started three and two and they traded away Trent Richardson and 
made all these moves mm-hmm. and, you know, things were looking up for them, I guess, at that point. You know, they had reasons to be excited about some things. And then after one season, they let go of Chudzinski and completely do away with that whole idea that they had and bring in a completely new regime with Ray Farmer and Mike Pettin. And then they're really sold on Mike Pettin for a year and they seem to be sold on Brian Hoyer through 11 games. And then he starts turning the ball over just a little bit. And before you know it, Johnny Manziel is playing because he was drafted 22nd. But that whole thing started in the offseason when they drafted Manziel because they should have never drafted Manziel. And according to the article, Ray Farmer didn't want him, which was very interesting to me because at the time, Farmer had to defend Johnny Manziel. Right. And it was... That's a good point. You know, it was actually Jimmy Haslam who was, again, you know, making those... Those calls from behind closed doors. Yeah. And as you said, if you're an owner of a team, you don't, when you read about New England, you don't see where Robert Kraft was at practice telling Bill Belichick how to run his defense right. or who to start at quarterback. Or the Roonies no. in Pittsburgh. No. The franchises that win year in and year out have an owner who is simply that. He owns the team. He makes sure ticket sales are good. He makes sure concession stands are good. He makes sure the stadium looks good. And if there's a problem with the team that he has to intervene, that's a large national scale story, he does. But in the case of Jimmy Haslam, and I remember it, going to training camp a couple times the past couple years, Haslam was always out on the field watching everything. Yeah, and D. Yeah, and it's like, you know, that's fine if you want to be there to watch, but he was also there watching and talking to John Dorsey and talking to yeah. you know Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley. That's not your position. It's I, not your job. I agree. I agree. I, I uh anyway. Well I, I, I hope this goes away. And it, it you know again, it doesn't do this was this was on this was a major story because and it's like, really? Okay, stop. Stop. We're moving on. We're in the future now. And and don't we don't need to keep rehashing the bad memories from two thousand eleven on. That's not that's that that doesn't help anything. Well and, and I think that the Browns and I don't know who made the call. I don't know if it was the Haslams themselves or if it was John Dorsey. I tend to believe it was Dorsey, but if you remember at Freddie Kitchen's introductory press conference that day, Jimmy and D sat in the front row with the media yeah. and not at the table. The only two people at the table answering questions were John Dorsey and Freddie Kitchens. I'm hoping he gets it now. And 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 like I said, if the article did one thing, it reminded him of his mistakes that he made, Jimmy Haslam, and, and how he needs to get out of the way. When we come back, I want to talk to you about these. Um, the, the... I would say you can keep going. We can talk now. Really? Yeah. We don't have anything going on. No. All right. Deal. Let's let's talk. We can talk, about... we can talk for another like eight minutes. I want to talk about this waiver policy now again. Okay. Explain um, this to me. Well, there was in the past. It, what what is being created in the NCAA right now is a free agency. Sure. 
<clears throat> it's a scary situation to me. It's, it's a freeing situation for players because players were restricted. Once they committed to a place, they were, you were in there. And, and you couldn't transfer unless you got approval by the school mm-hmm. and unless the NCAA did it and you had to go somewhere and sit out a year, mm-hmm. the whole thing. And so that, that ruled against the players. And if a coach got a violation, major recruiting violations or something like that, the school, the coach was able to move on like Pete Carroll did. And the players are stuck there. So I get that. This is a, this is a double-edged sword. Sure. But right now, the NCAA is taking an opposite turn and saying, you no longer have to go get permission from the school to transfer. All you have to do is put your name in this transfer portal. Yeah, I don't... I. It's I, a, it's a, it's a, you could, you just tell the NCAA that you're transferring and you go into a portal. The NCAA then sends out your name to all the schools and says, this kid is able to be recruited now again. Hmm. And, and now there's a waiver that it used to be hard. You had to have a, you had to prove a hardship to transfer. Now the NCAA is relaxing that and basically almost getting into a free agency where anybody at any time can put their name in the transfer portal and could change schools. Thus, what we're having with the kid from Georgia, is it going to Ohio State? Yeah, Justin Fields coming to Ohio State and then Tate Martell yes. going to Miami of Florida. Well, and the thing that, that bothers me about this is that and, and this has been a long extending problem and it even goes into it starts at the pro ranks and it's just you know kind of fed its way down all the way to even high school this happens but the lack of loyalty towards a program when you're recruited there or waiting your turn or being a part of it and waiting the couple of years to get your chance to play Tate Martell you know he had the opportunity he has the opportunity had he taken it with Ohio State that he could have beat out Justin Fields. He could have stayed in the program, so could have Joe Burrow, all those guys that have transferred. And because of what happens in pro sports where players get drafted by somebody and then after five years they're like, oh, I'm fed up with this, I'm going to leave, it's but, just it's moving its way down. But you're, you're missing the uh, – and, and I get what you're saying. Sure. And, and you're, you're not missing the point. You're kind of skirting around the point. And the point is this. That major college athletics are not about the school. Kids don't go there because of the school. Sure. Kids aren't there. You know, when when I went to Iowa State, it was because I loved Iowa State. I loved being there. I knew I was committed to stay there. My teammates were there because they were committed to stay there. We knew that we went through a redshirt year. We went through all the junk, all the, all the hard stuff to get to a point where we would play. But we wanted to graduate. We wanted to be there. That's how it, sports used to be. Sure. Now sports are nothing more than a proving ground. Guys, one and done, two and done. Yeah. You know, basically yeah. you're there. You're not there. They're not there because 
they they want to walk around the rest of their lives with an Ohio State letter jacket or or anything like that. They want they're there so that they could take a step to the next level. And because of that now, if I can't get there right now at this school and I've got to wait two years, I don't want to compete. I'm going to the place that needs me right now. And so thus I'm going into the transfer portal. It's crazy. Well, and and I agree with – I understand exactly what you're saying. And I guess what I was saying is that those two to me kind of walk hand in hand. They do. Because it's like, you know, when you went to Iowa State, you went there obviously because you were recruited by Johnny Majors, yeah. correct? And you loved the pitch that he gave you. You loved the reason why he told you come to Iowa State. And then as you were there and you started to work for it and work for your position to eventually play, you became ingrained in what the culture was at Iowa State. And you became a person who loved the school. You wear Iowa State stuff all the time. Yeah. And people who played football from your era to probably about, I don't know, the mid-90s, I would say, probably still had that mentality to a sense. But somewhere along the line there... That idea of going to a program and, as you said, working your tail off to get that starting job, it was lost in there somewhere. See, there's a lesson there, John. There's a lesson that we're missing as educators and as colleges. First of all, we put the cart before the horse and the tail's wagging the dog, which is sports is changing the (laughs) culture of college. Secondly is... When we when we seek comfort, there's a saying that says, when we seek comfort, we forget that the oak becomes strong in severe winds. And a diamond only becomes a diamond under pressure. Mm-hmm. We're, we're forgetting that we're teaching kids lessons of perseverance, of being tough, of sticking it out, of fighting for something. Instead, we're telling them it gets tough. When the going gets tough, the tough get going, or they don't. They leave. They go somewhere else where they see the the low-hanging fruit. Yeah. Justin yeah. Fields went to Ohio State because there was a vacuum. Yeah, and because Georgia didn't want him. <clears throat> well, because he wasn't going to play yeah. them. Yeah. Instead of competing and getting better. So what lesson did he learn in life? But the NCAA calling people student-athletes and everything is really not about that at all. It is about money and putting a product on the field. And they don't care about this transfer portal is another example, and the waivers, another example of taking a university experience, a college experience, like the, like my players had at Malone, like all those people had at Malone, where you go there and you're educated and you're changed and you happen to play football, and that's part of the experience. They've made it the main reason for being there, and you're there for two years or a year and you're gone. It's crazy what's going on. Somewhere along the line, someone's got to say, this is, a, this is a place of higher education. You're coming here to get educated. You're coming here to learn. It's because at the end of the day, that kid who gets that recruiting trip and sees himself in scarlet and gray or maize and blue 
sees one thing at the other end, and that's a large check from the NFL. Bingo. And that's all that matters to yeah. them. And that's or the NBA or anywhere else. It's it's wrong. It doesn't matter that you could get helmet stickers and work your tail off to get things anymore. It matters that well, Jimmy and D Haslam can see you yes. and then draft you a couple years later. Bingo. And if it doesn't work here, I'm going elsewhere. I'm taking my talents to South Beach. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Joe Palmasano right after this. It's the week that was with Joe Palmasano. This past Monday um, was Dr. Martin Luther King Day. And uh, as you are keenly aware... In today's toxic environment, we love to tear down those among us who have done great deeds. We, uh, we hold them in almost godlike standards, forgetting that these individuals are human beings as we are, thus flawed and not perfect. However, As a fellow human being, Dr. Martin Luther King's depth of spiritual growth and intellectual wisdom uh, was almost beyond human. Dr. King saw beneath the surface of the human condition and saw that the solution to the hatred and bigotry was love and and not giving in to the hate. Of all the great people I have witnessed in my lifetime and studied in my lifetime, I have to tell you, there is truly no one like Dr. King. He is the one in my lifetime who deserves the highest honors and praise. He knew that meeting violence and hatred with violence and hatred would only validate the others and their actions. He knew that. He knew it would add strength to them. He got it. He knew that love and peaceful resistance would ultimately crush his opponents. He lived Proverbs 21 and 22, which says, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. And in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. He knew that. That didn't make him weak. That didn't make him submissive. Far from that. He was determined, focused, and diligent to his cause, which truly was the cause of all of us, all people, black and white, and all colors. And his love and nonviolent approach was not an indication of his lack of resolve. We can all learn a lesson from Dr. King's life. Hatred consumes the hater. 
while love, respect, and dialogue, true dialogue, not social media dialogue, dialogue, and resolve to one's principles, a, a steadfastness to one's principles. If someone does that, it consumes both the giver and ultimately the one who hates. Dr. King was taken from us far too soon, and we surely need him again, rather than those who hate, who point out where the doer of deeds fails in the way we have in our culture today. People separating and dividing instead of bringing together. Dr. King was an amazing human being. And uh, I, I wanted to, as the week passed, I wanted to give my two cents about him and what I think about his life. It is uh, 20 degrees outside, and you're looking for a high today of I don't know what, 27. But then it's going to get colder. It's miserable out there. It's really bad. Stay inside. The roads aren't that good. We're going to take a break. Then we come back. I want to get into this whole, once again, rush to judgment and botched media coverages of what went on with the Covington Catholic students in Washington, D.C. Stay tuned. Don't sit this one out. Here's Joe Palmisano on News Talk 1480 WHBC. You know, you think you'd learn, we would learn from our mistakes and rushing to judgment and all the things that go on in, in, in our world. And, you know, you have a group of young men who didn't, weren't perfect, but what 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old kids are supposed to be perfect? They make mistakes. But because a bunch of Catholic young men were in Washington, D.C., some of them wearing Make America Great Again hats, they became perfect targets for a media that was ready to rush to judgment. The story as it was going on Friday, Saturday, everything was that this group of unruly students had surrounded a poor Native American uh, man who was playing, a, who was singing and, and doing Indian chants, Native American chants, and made them look like they were the villain. Did they act like angels? No. No. Would anyone at that age? I don't know. I don't know. But then all of a sudden, there were death threats. They had to close the school Monday. Uh, They were on national news as villains, as horrible kids. People started calling them, you know, rich white kids. They were this and that, and they were 
they were wrong and and this was this symbol of of just hatred and bigotry and then what we realized later on celebrities came out all these different people came out and started crushing them and then as we started getting into it we realized there was another group there another group that was yelling at the boys the young men who was there really to disrupt the indian the native american protest that was taking place they basically went there to not to confront these young men but to confront the native american protests so they were there hurling insults and going into things with the native americans and then they started on the young men you know one of the things that was that that they videotaped was on the videotape was it said you little dirty blank crackers because you're little and then it says i'm gonna because i'm gonna stick my foot in your little eh, you know and and so this stuff was going back and forth there were taunts there were things going on and it started be and the the native american elder walked into the crowd to defuse the confrontation that was going on. Now, he then came out and said I was disrespected. He might have been. I looked at the young man that was kind of smirking at him and wouldn't let him walk any further. That was wrong. Um, However, as it turned out, it wasn't anywhere near what was what was said and what went on and it was funny because all these people who came out afterwards one reporter started out by saying and then there were tweets that came out as as it got going uh one of the priests said dear friends i regret wading into this covington this weekend for it seems that we may know we may never know what was going on, so I would like to apologize to them. Uh, One guy came out, uh, a reporter came out and tweeted, a a national reporter, uh, his hatred for these young men. And then the very next day, came out and said, I was a complete dolt to put up this and several other obnoxious tweets yesterday without waiting to see the whole video of the incident. And I apologize to the kids from Kentucky unilaterally and also for using the clip to make another point about of all the things the Razor ad because he brought that into it. Jamie Lee Curtis came out and said stuff about I rushed to judgment. Other people said uh, S.E. Cup came out and said, hey guys, seeing all the additional videos now, I 100% regret reacting too quickly to the Covington story. I wish I'd had the fuller picture before weighing in, and I'm truly sorry. Megan McCain came out and said that she overreacted. I apologize for being, being part of the media pile-on. Jamie Lee Curtis came out. There are two sides to every story. 
I made a snap judgment based on the photograph, and I know better than to judge a book by its cover. I wasn't there. I shouldn't have commented. I'm glad there wasn't violence. I hope these two men can meet and find common ground, as can we all. Isn't it funny how quickly nowadays we want to jump to conclusions, we want to take the first headline and beat up on people and hold 15, 16, 17-year-old kids up to a standard that, that we contrive and we set for them without knowing the whole story. This happens so often. This happened, do you remember the Duke lacrosse case? How many times do, do these things happen and we jump to it? And shame on the media for, for not getting, isn't that their job to get the whole story before they publish a story? Anymore, it's, it's so quick to be first that they jump on the first thing. And especially if they're a group of kids wearing for a Catholic school, all-boys school, which they think all of a sudden are privileged. Secondly, that they have, let's target them, they have Make America Great hats on, four or five of them. So we definitely have to target them. And it goes on and on. As it turns out, the kids weren't angels. They weren't perfect. No, far from that. But the adults in the room were worse. And that's a sad commentary. Stay tuned. The week that was will continue right after this. And now, here's Joe Palmisano on News Talk 1480 WHBC. You enunciate your words very well, by the way. Thank you. Vinatieri. Most people don't say that. But you you do. And I commend you on that. Thank you. 21. I know. You, you say that well, too. I uh, You know, there's another story that came out this week that kind of follows this whole media thing and this whole craziness that we have. Um, Roger Stone, who is a uh, journalist, he is a he was a Trump campaign advisor, was taken into custody by the FBI this just yesterday. Now, if you saw this, his house was swarmed by military people. They were in military gear. Now, what is Roger Stone? Do they think he's got, like, cannons and machine guns in there? What has gone on? It was a, it was a pre-dawn raid on his house. Now, couldn't he have just knocked on the door and said, we're with the FBI, Roger, would you like to come with us? Yes. They swarmed his house in military gear as if they were going after a drug cartel. And here's the other problem I have with this. How in the world did CNN find out about it? 
What do we do now? The FBI calls CNN so they could film the footage? How crazy is this? CNN filmed the entire thing. The entire arrest of Roger Stone. On what? And he was indicted not for murder. Not for armed robbery. It was for... What do they say? Uh, Misleading testimony, lying, charged with a total of seven counts, obstruction and official proceeding, making false statements. Really? They don't even do this for armed robbers, for murderers. Maybe they do. But they don't call CNN and say, hey, we're going to go arrest this guy, full military gear, and we're giving you a heads up, we want you to film it. What is going on with our society? How does CNN know about this? Why do you leak it to the media? Why is that a big deal? I mean, if you're a reporter who's been in the business for a while and you have a good inside source you might be able to get that leaked i mean it's like i mean it's like the same thing as like nixon i mean it's not the same thing but it's like it's how woodward was able to get stuff for watergate but they didn't film it well no but it's like if you have that source it's a different time though there's a difference between digging after the fact and finding sources than being tipped off by the people that are going to arrest somebody so that you can actually get out there and you know about it before the person, and you actually have a film crew filming the event. Who's to say it was tipped off, though? Who's to say that it wasn't some reporter at CNN calling the FBI and saying, hey, what's the scoop? Oh, we're going to go arrest him today. Yeah, I mean... It could, oh, isn't that a tip? No, but I mean, it's it's <laughs> him. It's that person asking their source for what's the big story. And so now we call the news media when we arrest people. No, I'm saying if the news media called the FBI. And the FBI now just says, yes, we're going to be there. If it's a trusted reporter that you've had a relationship with for years, that might take place. We're going to be there at 7 o'clock, have your film crews there, because we're going in. Could be. This is live. Could be. That's the same thing as calling them, John. But it's if it's the reporter we doing are it. Now on, we are now on officially on... A we're we're in a society that is it, this is not just happening in a bubble. First of all, you don't arrest a guy for these things in full military SWAT gear. Secondly, you don't tell the media of it unless you're trying to push something and a a it's it, it's just. It's a sad commentary on our society when a film crew is there before the SWAT team filming the entire event. It's a sad commentary. And when, and I've had people on this show that have been attacked by the ATF for doing nothing. They come in with full military gear to arrest somebody for something that was a non-violent crime. How do you even do that? What is going on? 
I mean, I, would you like that? If you had tax evasion, if you had something going on in your life, you, you were driving without a driver's license, John, and all of a sudden, one day at What was he arrested for again? Giving false testimony to the FBI. I mean, that's a, that's a major risk. He's a major risk. I mean, because this guy's a violent guy. Well, how, how critical was the false testimony? Like, how big was it? Oh, was it-, it was probably something that was going to actually cause people to die. Was it really? No. But what if it I'm was? I'm being sarcastic. John, you're trying to make up reasons for this. Do you want a full military coming in and arresting No, but I mean, I this? think there's a difference between, like, me getting pulled over for a parking ticket and, like, someone else, like, you know, giving a false testimony to the Federal Bureau okay. of Investigation. That's right. a big difference. Yeah, and you should get a full military coming into your home for that because, because you're at risk of, of killing people. And you should have a news media there to do it at the same time. I think that's I don't know important. if it's as I don't know if it's as much of a the FBI is calling CNN as you think. What difference does what difference does it make? Should anybody know that? Should anybody know that? Should any news media know you're doing it before the fact? The thing is though is that in today's world everyone is a member of the media. As long as you have a smartphone, you can become a member of the media. And what's that got to do with it? It's got to do with the fact that it could have been anybody filming that. Obviously, CNN was the one that was How there. How would they know? That CNN? Yeah. As I said, if you have a reporter who's been there for years, okay. they can call and get the information. Right. And somebody leaked it. An arrest was coming. But that's the way that it's always worked with, no, with stuff. No, it hasn't. No, it hasn't. You get a source and you use them. You use it after the fact, John. You don't use it during the fact. You don't get heads well, maybe up. Maybe someone had told them from five John, days before. you're making shit up. Excuse me. You're making it up. You're making stuff up. You're trying to make an argument that doesn't make sense. And it doesn't work. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Okay, before we do our contest, I have been overruled by both John and Pam Cook in my assessment that, yes, they could have gotten it. They could have staked out his home. Pam said she has done that as a news person. Um, I don't agree Still, with the military presence for a guy who is not a threat, do it the right way. Shouldn't have okay. been. Shouldn't have been this like invasion. But maybe the news media does get that. All right. So maybe you weren't making stuff up. Forgive me. Forgive I, me. I accept. I accept it. I do. I, I I appreciate you, Joe. I do. I appreciate you, John. It's a loving relationship. We may disagree. Kumbaya. Hey, the lines are lit up. They're <laughs> no. smashed. I know people are like, we don't give a crap about your apologies. <laughs> Let's go to the phones. Let call our number three. What's your name, please? Penny Flanagan. Penny? Yes. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you, Joe. Good. It's good to talk to you, Penny. 
Me too. Even if I don't win, you've made my day. Well, you're going to win if you got. Did you do the answers? Oh yes, definitely. Then you're going to win, and you're going to go see Cher. You're going to go see Cher. Oh, I love Cher. Oh, good, good. This is perfect then. All right, Penny. Here we go. Which Super Bowl was the first to be played in the Rose Bowl? Super Bowl two. Get Penny. I'm going to give you one more chance. Okay. What is it? What was the first? What what Super Bowl? Which Super Bowl was the first to be played in the Rose Bowl? Super Bowl Eleven. Yes. <laughs> Very good, Penny. I don't make eleven too good. That's all right. And uh, how many times have the Denver Broncos won the Super Bowl? Two times. Very good. What quarterback threw the game-winning touchdown pass in Super Bowl? I don't even know this number. I don't know Roman numerals really well. To defeat the previously undefeated Patriots. Eli Manning. There you go. You oh, won. Joe. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. I, a little bit of help. That was fine. I knew yeah. you knew the answer. You just <laughs> got confused. That, so, that comes easily. Uh, no, it doesn't. I'm going to put you on hold, and you're going to have to wait a little bit. Because, Sit patiently, Penny. Yeah, I'm because, very patient. Because John is doing this, and he's producing the show, and he's arguing with me. <laughs> and um, Yeah, John, cut that out. Whoa. No, he was right. He oh, was right. And you boy. know what? John's got good opinions. I know it. I like it. I like opinion. Yeah, good. You know what they say about opinions. Yeah. I know. Penny, I'm going to put you on hold. Okay, thank you, Joe. You have a wonderful week. You too. Thank you. What do they say about opinions? I'm not going to say. Fine. I'm not going to say. Um, there was, you know, Michigan, you know John Harbaugh? Yeah. Actually offered, this is this is another, these are crazy things. I know what you're about to say, and these bother me quite a lot. He offered a scholarship to a seventh grader. Yeah, I. A seventh grader. Do you realize what this does to this young man's life? Oh, it means there's like a, just like a walking circus with him everywhere he goes not only that he feels do you think a seven how old is seventh grader i can't even remember so like 13 13 yeah do you think a 13 year old's ego can handle a scholarship offer from michigan without absolutely losing his mind there is a reason that there have only been a few people or a few athletes in the history of sports who have had attention from a young age that have succeeded. And it's because once you get that attention, if you don't live up to that attention, then you immediately just go away. LeBron is one of the few examples that he got attention from the time he was like 15. Yeah. And it was like, this guy's going to be good. And since then, he's been really good. Yeah. But like him... Tiger Woods, that's about it. Yeah, and then you look at guys like Pete Maravich. Yeah. Or not Pete Maravich, uh, Todd Marinovich. Yeah. The quarterback. You look at guys like that who just tanked. Well, I, I think of golfers, too. Look at um Michelle Wee, who was, you know, heralded as like a 16-year-old that could compete on the PGA Tour, and they threw her into that. Her dad pressured her to go play a, a PGA Tour event, and 
she fell flat on her face because she wasn't ready. Mentally, she wasn't ready for it. And, you know, people always think like, oh, well, it'll be okay. It'll happen. But it takes a lot. There's a lot of mental stamina that goes into that. And how do you judge a kid? He said he was the youngest to ever receive a scholarship offer. Uh, he liked what he saw with the film. He likes his anticipation as far as throwing kids open and reading. How do you do that at 13? And Come he gets on. pizza every Wednesday. I, I, you know, I, I think things like this make me absolutely. Well, but it's it's true nuts. though because what can you what can you really figure out from a thirteen year old kid? I mean, he's gonna grow a lot in the next couple years. Well, you don't know that. Well, he may all of a sudden stop at thirteen. I mean, what do you? Do well, I mean, it'd be a little weird if he had the same face of. No, I'm not talking about face, but what about all of a sudden, how many guys did you play with? I remember guys I played football with when I was a freshman and 105 pounds, and they were 140 pounds, and suddenly senior year I was 185 and they were still 140. I mean, how many times have you seen that? Too many. All right. I said there's a reason it doesn't work out. It's crazy. It's crazy. Seventh, seventh grade, and what it does to the seventh grader. That's the sad thing. And his parents that have to deal with it. It's probably why Jim Harbaugh has struggled uh, for yeah, decisions. I, I would agree with that. Like that. John, thank you. I want to thank uh, J.R. Rinaldi for coming in and spending an hour and answering some very good questions. J. David Russ with the news. Um, everyone else, you for tuning in. Have a great week, everybody. Make something great happen. I'll talk to you next Saturday.